I am really excited today about what we're going to continue to talk about. Um, I'm going to take off and continue on what we talked a little bit about last week, and that's worship. And uh, if I was going to title this message, I would title it The Worship-Driven Life. The Worship-Driven Life. Last week we talked about worship. We talked about five main areas of worship. We talked about what is worship. We put some definition to it. What is worship? We talked about who we are to worship. How do we worship? When do we worship? And why is worship necessary? So if you missed last week, you missed a lot. And uh, you're always welcome to go back on the website if you wanted to listen to it and, uh, and get caught up on it. You're welcome to do that. But this week I want to spend more time discussing uh, worship because it is a hugely important and powerful topic. Uh, I don't know that we can really grasp the power there is in worship. Whether we realize it or not, God has transferred some power into the hands of humans that are out of his control. Do you know that there's a couple things God can't do that are important that God has given us? He's given us two things that are, are so powerful that it was a real risk for him to give to us. But here's the thing about power. When you give someone power and give someone authority, there will come a day when they will be held accountable for how they've used that power. There will come a day when those that are, have power will be accountable to the higher power, which is God, as to how that power that, that he gave us, that he transferred into our hands, how did we use it? The two elements that, are, that, that he's given us that he will not and cannot step over boundaries is freedom of choice and who we worship. Freedom of choice and who we worship. He gave us that ability to us to choose. And there is nothing, he, he cannot step over bounds on that. He gave us the choice. And he gave us the choice to do how we do with our lives and who we worship with our lives. And we will give account for what we did with that power. Both of these actions are hugely important for us. Worship, as we talked a little bit about last week, is, is ingrained in all of us from the very beginning of creation. God created Adam and Eve with a heart of worship. He created a little pocket in our hearts that you and I have in our hearts today that are ingrained to worship. And in the Garden of Eden, when it was perfectly created before sin came in, that heart's throb was perfect. God created it perfectly, and he was he was the focus of the worship. And that was the way God intended it to be. But then sin entered in and distorted it and took away that perfectness of worship and took away that, that desire within Adam and Eve to worship God only. And that's where the problem began. And that's since then we've been spiraling downward as a society for thousands of years. We've been spiraling downward because sin crept in and took what God made perfect and distorted it. So now that we have the choice, we can choose whatever we want to choose to worship. And that can be good and that can be bad. And I think what we need to understand is that God has a perfect plan for it. And, and when God made something, when God created things perfectly, 
why would a God, just think about it for a minute, why would a God that could create something perfectly, why would he not create something perfectly? So when he created man, he created us perfectly in his image. And he, and he created us like him in the choices that we can make. And he created us so that we could perfectly worship him because he wanted fellowship. And our desire, our purpose here in life is really to worship the Lord. The questions I have is, why don't we? And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Basically, there, is, there are two things that I really believe that we're going to answer to the most when we get into our time of judgment before the Lord. Basically, when life is over and we're standing before God and all is stripped away, we're going to have two major questions. God's going to say, what did we do with Jesus? Did we have a saving knowledge of Jesus in my life? Did I truly apply the grace and the forgiveness of, of, our, of my sins that he provided for me on the cross? Did I really apply that to my life? And then number two, did I share that saving grace with others? Or did I just keep it to myself? Did I share it? Did, did I live my life as a sacrifice and an example for others so that they can see that God is worthy to be praised and worshipped in my life so that they can see a need in their life for praise and worship and, and ultimately for a saving knowledge in their life as well. Everything else in life up to that point in time will, will, will fade away. It doesn't, it's not going to matter at that time how much money I had when I died, how big my car, how big my house was, how new my car was, how popular I was with people. All of those things will, will instantly fade away the first moment I take breath in eternity whether it's when I'm being escorted in heaven by my guardian angel or being dragged to hell by a demon, believe me, everything will go blank for you. It's just like, wow, what did I do with God? What did I do with Jesus? Did I share him? Did I, did I save? Was I saved? And did I share him? <laughs> and that's going to be the driving factor at that point in time. Everything else is not going to be a thought. So if that's true... Why do we get so wrapped up in it today? Why do we get so wrapped up when we don't have everything? And, and you might ask me, Mike, what does this have to do with worship? What does that have to do with the topic that I've called today, worship-driven life? And let me tell you what that has to do with. It has everything to do with it. Everything to do with it. Because once I have a saving knowledge of Jesus in my life, and, and I really understand what he's done for me, everything in my life should be worship-centered. Everything should be worship-centered. When I fully embraced the fact that I was originally destined to die, I was originally, because sin entered in through Adam and Eve, I, even that little Elijah baby, if that Elijah baby comes to the point of accountability at some point in time in his life and doesn't accept Jesus, that little Elijah will go to hell. That's just what the Bible says. I'm not making this up. And therefore, when I understand that my destiny was destruction, and Jesus came and gave me a way out, and he gave me salvation for me just to accept and believe and embrace as my gift, that should put in my heart an attitude of thankfulness and worship. And then that should become the center of my life so that everything I do from that point on should be driven by worship. 
Worship is not just Sunday morning coming together for an hour and a half, and, and of that hour and a half, the first half an hour of praise and worship. If that's all worship is, we're missing the point. We're missing the whole opportunity of what worship's about. Worship is life. Worship is a lifestyle. It happens every day, seven days a week, all the time. We are ingrained to worship. So if I can get that settled into my heart, and I'm hoping that I can get the message out today the way the Lord's put it in me, that we will all be better off for it, and we will all be challenged by this word today, no matter if we're a baby Christian or if we're a very old, mature Christian. This is a challenging message for all of us today. Godly worship, when I understand who God is and what He's done for me, godly worship becomes my driving force. Now, last week we mentioned how powerful worship is, and, and it is powerful because it's that inner desire that we have. And, but I can worship anything or anyone. Worship, in my estimation, I can worship my golf game, I can worship my car, I can worship my checkbook, I can worship anything. And it doesn't have to be a person. You can, you can worship graven images. I mean, that idol worship was a big deal in the Old Testament. And so when God gave us the ability to choose what we worship, it wasn't just a person. It was anything. So you can look at it and say, well, this may or may not apply to my life today, but let me, tell it, let me challenge you this morning that as you listen to this sermon, you listen to what's happening and being said, take off the blinders. Take off the spiritual blinders and say, that doesn't apply to me because this message applies to me. And it applies to everyone hearing it today because it is that powerful and it's that much of a big factor. And if because there is so much power in it, understand the devil is clearly involved in it too. He wants to distort everything you hear today. He wants to distort in your mind what true worship is really about because he doesn't want you to worship. Well, yeah, he does. He wants you to worship him. Yeah. He wants you to worship the cares of life. He wants you to worship your confusion. He wants to worship your pain, your suffering. He, he wants you to worship anything besides Jesus, because if he can get you to worship anything besides Jesus, he ultimately wins and you lose. And that's what he wants. So as we worship today, as we talk, talk about worship, um, it is absolutely important that we grasp the concept. Now let me make one other statement here that I think will challenge some of us, and that is that what I worship... Whatever I choose to worship, tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, will impact and will be a huge factor in how I worship next Sunday. Did you hear, did you hear that? What I worship tomorrow, what I, heard, what I worship on my job, what I worship at my home, what I worship at school, all week long, determines how I worship next Sunday. And I think that's the thing that we miss, is that we think that what happens between Sunday services are uneventful, or, or don't, that they don't impact my spiritual life. That I can come in on Sunday morning and all of a sudden just enter into a season of worship, regardless of how I lived all week. But if I can grasp the fact that what I do tomorrow makes a difference, and if I'm not worshiping tomorrow... Uh, then I can't be very much of a worshiper on Sunday if I'm not worshiping all week long. So what I worship makes a difference in how I worship every Sunday. And let's just take a minute and let's talk a little bit of differences between, what the, between praise and worship. 
praise and worship. But we, we use those words all the time together, praise and worship. This is the praise and worship service. All right. Well, let's, te- let's talk a little bit about the differences between praise and worship. Now, when you think of praise, shout out to me. What comes to your mind when you, talk, when, when, when you think of a praise and worship service? What do you think about? God? Okay. God. Good, Dan. What else do you appreciate? What else, you, what else comes to your mind when you think of praise? Exuberant expression. Thanking Him. Raising your hands. What else? Song, singing, dancing. Expression, physical expression. Awesome. Yeah, I think that we often think that praise and worship or praise is, is all about um, singing, all about expressions, and so much of it is, and they, they do work together. And the evidence so much in a person's life is of a person's worship, and what they worship is how they praise and how they worship and how they put that two together. A person that claims to have a relationship with Jesus will, will not only live like it, but they will also have a sense of appreciation that is seen in their outward praise and worship style. It, it will come out. I mean, God is an emotional God. When God touches a man, there, there's emotion there. There's power there. And I think we need, we need to understand a little bit how that applies to praise and worship. I was on the Internet and did some research about what other people said about praise and worship. And, and let me just read a few comments about people, what they were saying. One person said, praise is telling God who he is, but worship is telling God who he is to me, and it's just between he and me. So praise in this person is telling God who he is. Worship is telling God who he is to me. Um, Praise can be done from afar. To worship, we need to be in the presence of God. Praise what God has done. Worship who God is. T.D. Jakes said this way about worship. He says, praise is, Lord, thank you for my job. Thank you for my shoes. Thank you for my family. And worship says, if I don't have a job, if I don't have shoes, if I don't have a car, if my family is a mess, I worship you for who you are. Praise and worship are part of the same continuum, and worship is more than an action. It is a way of life. Whatever we devote our time and energies to is worship. We worship God when we obey Him and consider Him and our relationship to Him. I like these. These are some really good definitions and some really good perspectives of the difference in how praise and worship come together. I see praise and worship as they are very much related. Praise comes out of worship when it's done in the way God intends us to do it. Praise is the result of worship. Praise is an outpouring of worship. Worship requires an act of engaging the Spirit. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, in the message translation, we talked about this last week, but I need to bring it up again. It says, it's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. 
those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves, and adoration. So the message translation makes it very clear that if we're to worship, we must engage our spirit. See, if I, I can praise in my mind only, I don't need to praise in my spirit. I can praise someone by saying, you look good today. I like your haircut. Thank you for doing a nice job in the, in the kitchen. Thank you for shoveling the driveway today. That's praise. But that's just my mind saying thank you for doing something. But there's no spiritual engagement there. I can praise things without having my spirit engaged. However, worship, on the other hand, is done through a relationship with God in a way that it is a total surrender to Him. When I really get to grasp, when I grasp the concept of worship, it's not just my mind saying thank you, God. It's like T.D. Jakes saying, in the midst of everything that's going on around me, thank you, God, for being who you are. Not what you're doing for me, but just the fact that you are God and that you are the creator and that you are awesome and that you deserve it. I can worship you. Um, But worship requires a form of sacrifice. And and the, the the best example I could find and the one that really hits me close to home and, and probably all of us as dads is Abraham and Isaac. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. Let's read that in Genesis chapter 22, the first five verses. It talks about this sacrifice of worship. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Morah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now that word worship there in the Greek, that means to bow down, prostrate, uh, lay everything out before God. It means to give up a total surrender. So that's what, Moses, or that's what Abraham's perspective was. That's what he was going there to do, to worship the Lord. He wasn't going to praise him. He wasn't going there to say, God, thank you. He was going to prostrate himself. He was going to sacrifice everything that he had. It was a total commitment on Abraham's part. And our act of worship should be the same in our lives today. Our, la- our, our form of worship should be that same level of abandon that Abraham had. It should not be a, with any reservations. It should not be with anything held back. Our form of worship should be a total act of surrender of everything that God has promised us. Abraham, when he went to sacrifice Isaac... He knew what he was doing. He knew his purpose for going to that mountain. It was to sacrifice his son that God had promised him that he and Sarah had in their old age. He was 100 years old when he had the boy. Now he's well beyond it now because at this point in time, Isaac could have been from his teens to his 30s. We don't know exactly how old Isaac was, but he was not a baby here. He was clearly a young man. But we'll get back to that in a minute. The total commitment to God of everything that I am and everything that God has promised me to be 
is a simplest form of worship that I could come up with on my own. It is a total commitment to God of everything I am and of everything that God has promised me to be. I'm giving it back. I'm giving that to the Lord. I'm not holding anything back. And when I do that, when I can come to that understanding of what worship is for me on a daily basis, then praise to God will automatically begin to flow out of me because of how God reacts to my commitment to Him. There's a lot of ifs in the Bible. Sandra said, how many? 1,300 or something. You gave me 1,500 ifs in the Bible. There's a lot of, if you do this, I will do that. I'm not talking about love. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about blessings. All right. There's a lot of ifs. And when I commit myself to God in my form of worship, it's easy then, or easier then, for me to praise Him. It's easier for me then to come in on a Sunday morning or any event a, Sunday, a Saturday night vertical worship, or any time I have an opportunity to publicly praise the Lord, if I'm in a proper work, a proper attitude of worship all week long or all that time long, it, it becomes a natural outpouring of me to praise Him. And it becomes an extension of who I am. Think of it this way. The more I'm delivered from, the more I feel like I'm free. An example of that is what Jesus gave us in a parable. In fact, it was a he was invited to a dinner to a Pharisee's house. And in that, um, there was a lady of ill repute that came in and began to worship Jesus. And uh, let's just read it, and then we'll talk about it. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 47, in the message translation again, it says this. One of the Pharisees asked him over for a meal. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at the dinner table. Just then, a woman of the village, the, the town harlot, Having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet, weeping, raining tears on his feet. Letting down her hair, she dried his feet, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man was the prophet I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who is falling all over him. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me. Two men were in a debt, were in debt to a banker. One owed, one owed 500 silver pieces, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up, so the banker canceled both debts. Which of the two would be more grateful? Simon answered, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. That's right, said Jesus. Then turning to the woman, woman but speaking to Simon, he said, Do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing for freshening up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. So can you see here how in this situation that the worship of the woman would be maybe more significant than the worship of the, of the man who was given, forgiven less? Do you see that? Can you comprehend that? But let me take it a little step deeper. Let me ask you the question this morning that I believe if we can seriously listen to this answer, it'll be life-changing for us. Let me read this question to you. If Romans 3.23 is correct, saying, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, if that's right, 
meaning that we are all condemned to die and then suffer eternal punishment in a lake of fire or in hell. And if Romans 3.20 also is correct, then that says, therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. If that's also right, that means there is nothing that I can do to save myself, even if I've only committed one little sin that condemns me to death. There's nothing I can do to save myself. So why shouldn't my worship and praise be just as adamant as if I was the worst sinner that was ever forgiven? You see, we think that because we're Americans and we've been in church all of our life, and maybe I'm not living that bad sinful life, that maybe I don't need to be as grateful as the person that has got the big witness and the big story about how bad he was before he came to the Lord. But here's the fact, guys, and this is what that devil doesn't want us to understand. I can be a good person and still miss it if I don't have Jesus in my life. So therefore, when I accept Jesus in my life, there should be a lot of praise and worship that should come out of me because Jesus forgave me of my sin that I couldn't work my way out of it. So it doesn't make any difference how bad I was. It doesn't make any difference if I was the bad guy, if I grew up in church, and the fact that Jesus loves me and that Jesus forgives my sins, I should be exuberant in my worship for him. I shouldn't have to wait until, or shouldn't have to have that big story. And yet we don't get it. I think that that sometimes we think that, I don't understand it. I don't know why we can't come in and have a sad, an, an attitude of worship, an attitude of praise, when I realize how much I've been forgiven, even if I think it's a little. Because it's a lot, because I can't do anything with it. Whether I miss heaven by an inch or miss heaven by a mile, it doesn't make any difference. I missed it. So I better be thankful that God has given me the path and that I've chosen to take it. So now I want to go back and I want to touch a little bit more on that story about Abraham and Isaac because I think there's some very significant lessons we can learn here. Have you ever thought about how your form of worship affects others around you that are in your sphere of influence? Have you ever considered it? How your worship, and that is not just praise and worship on Sundays, but I'm talking about your life. When I'm talking about worship now, I'm out of Sundays, I'm into everyday living. Okay, How you live your life every day is worship. Whether you realize it or not, you're worshiping something. Okay, Now, I'm assuming now that's going to worship God. Do you understand how significant your form of worship is to the people that you touch? The people that you come into contact with every day? And how important it is that you live your life, as Dick said earlier, consistently before the Lord? Consistency is so vitally important when it comes to worship. You know, that story in Genesis, we always talk about Abraham. But let's talk about Isaac for a minute. How do you think that experience impacted Isaac? I mean, he was the one that was bound up. He was the one that was put on the altar. He was the one that his father had a knife ready to slay him. Do you ever think about what Isaac was thinking? Let's read that. Genesis chapter 22, verses 9 through 12. Let's catch up here about what happened. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here am I. Do not lay a hand on the boy. 
Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now, in today's world, you talk about child abuse. <laughs> Dr. Phil would have a heyday on Abraham. He, he, would, he would, you know, this guy would be put in prison. Think about it. He took his son and he was going to kill him. What do, you think, what do you think Isaac thought through this whole process? You know, again, Isaac is in his teens to his 30s. Um, he was not stupid because he asked his father on the way up. He said, we're going to go offer a sacrifice, Dad, but where's the offering? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, the Lord will provide. Well, what do you think Isaac was thinking? I'm sure he didn't think that he was going to be the guy. I'm sure Isaac wasn't thinking, well, my dad's going to offer me. I, I, it probably wasn't until his dad started tying his hands up. And he started thinking, Dad, what are you doing? What's going on here? See, Isaac could have overpowered his dad. You know, I, Abraham, again, was probably 113 years old, 130 years old at this point in time. And Isaac was probably 13 to 30. Now, who's going to win that fight? All right? Isaac could have rebelled against his father. But I'll tell you why he didn't. And this is so important for us today, fathers. Abraham had proved to Isaac all through his life that he worshipped God and that he trusted God. So when it came down for Isaac to trust his dad, there was no doubt of trust because he saw the heart of God in his dad. That's the only reason I can think of why Isaac would allow himself to be bound and to be laid on an altar to be slain because he trusted his father that if his dad said this is the right thing to do because God told him to do this, then you've got to know Isaac had a lot of faith in his father. But if Abraham would have given him any reason to think, for Isaac to think that his dad's a hypocrite, what do you think Isaac would have done? He would have bolted. He said, Dad, where's your consistency now, man? Come on. So Abraham had lived such a pure heart, a pure life before his son, that his son believed and trusted in him. You don't think Isaac thought about that after the fact? You don't think that has impacted Isaac's life all of his life? You don't think that there were times when he, when, you know, 10 years later, 20 years later, that he would go back to that time. And he would remember the time that he was on the altar. His dad was ready to slay him. Because, and because of his dad had such faith in God and such a worshipful attitude throughout consistency in his life that it impacted Isaac to be a man of God as well. Dads, moms, our life of worship is very powerful for the people around us. It's very powerful. You want your kids to grow up to love Jesus? Then moms and dads, you grow up to love Jesus. You grow up and show them what it is to worship the Lord. You get on your face before them. You raise your hands. You express your jubilant worship before the Lord. And then you watch your kids take off from that. But don't think your kids are going to do it if you're not. I mean, there is such a powerful lesson that I picked up in that. I wish I could go back and be a dad all over again because I would do things a lot differently if I would have picked up on that early on to say, you know what, I cannot allow a sense of hypocrisy to come in my life in front of my kids. 
Oh, Lord, forgive me. And I pray that, that anything that I've done in the past will be forgiven and that God will restore that to them and they will see a different element here. I'm glad my kids aren't here today. Because I wasn't a perfect dad. God can see the heart of a man just like you saw the heart of David. David was not a perfect man, but yet God said David is a, has a heart after God. Therefore, he can say that you have a heart after God. I have a heart after God. And he will restore the failures in our life if we can now have a heart after God. And so I, I just want to encourage dads here this morning and, and, and moms that, that to, to, to really try to grasp what worship is and live it out in front of your, parent, of your children. Grandparents, live it out in front of your children. And this is a time where I think it's a big challenge for all of us older Christians, and that is to put away the inhibitions. If God is stirring in your heart to do something a little crazy, do it. Praise and worship, it, it, it's, it's, it's evidenced in us. And I don't know, I, I, should have, I should have brought that clip of T.D. Jakes because he said it the best. He said, half of the things that pass for worship are not really worship in the church. Because if real worship hits the church, the musicians can't play, the ushers can't usher, the deacons can't be deacons. It's something that you do out of your belly, out of your heart, out of your spirit. And he said it only in a way that a black man could say it. <laughs> and I don't mean that negative. I'm talking about, he, he, he said it, you know, T.D. Jake style, man. He was ranting and raving and sweat was blowing off his, eye, his, his forehead and he was going. And, and you know, and, and I just can't do that. I'm sorry. I can't do that. But, you know, he just said it in a way that just created a sense of passion about what worship is. Worship isn't something that's just my mind. Worship is my ever being. It's my, it comes out of the belly of a man. And it just breaks a person down and it makes you weep and cry. And it says, I can't do anything, Lord, but to worship you and to give you all that I am. And it's not just an emotional high on Sunday, but I need to take it with me on Monday through Saturday. And I need to have it consistently in my life. Anyone can praise, but true worship requires relationship. With who? With God the Father. And when I have that true relationship, I can praise. You know, I, uh, we're going to go into communion, and I have a, a video I want us to watch. It's a song called The Motions by Matthew West. And uh, I like this song because it calls me into a, an abandonment of myself. See, there's going to come a day, like we've already talked about, that we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for everything we've done. And isn't it a shame, won't it be a shame if I go through life just doing the motions and I get before God and he says, Mike, where, where were you? Why did you even waste your time with them just going through the motions? So I want to run this video. Let's listen to it. Carefully consider the words. And then prepare your heart for communion. Then we're going to come up and have communion afterwards as we're going to then express ourselves in worship. But I really pray that, that somehow the message got out today. I feel like I've stumbled over my words and I didn't feel like I did a good job here. But I just wanted, I want worship to be so much of our life. So much of who you are, your character. So much of what drives you. That's worship. It's easy to let praise well up and just roll out of you because you've been having all your life driven by worship. 
Amen. Let's listen and let's uh, let's prepare. Stand with me if you want to. Let's after this we're going to come up and take communion. This might hurt. It's not safe. But I know that I've got to make a change I don't care if I break At least I'll be feeling something Cause just okay is not enough Help me fight through the nothingness of life just come before you now, Jesus, and I just am called into worship now to this. God, I pray. Lord, I pray that my life would be all out for you. 
And I pray, God, that I would take heed to the words, Lord, of this song that would say, I don't want to regret. I don't want to leave anything here of value that I didn't give to you. So, God, I just pray. Lord, I pray that that this would settle into my heart and settle into all those people that are here with us this morning as as we come into a season now of communion where we can fellowship and enjoy the, the fellowship of your your table. God, that you would just honor, that you would be honored. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So this morning, as we prepare for communion, I just want to encourage you to uh, analyze your hearts this morning. Um, communion is, is an open communion. It, it's, you do not have to be a member of this church. The only requirement for communion is that you love Jesus. And uh, if you have anything in your heart and life that you need to confess, just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. You know, there are, th- there are times when words just can't express what's being heartfelt. And I'm so glad God sees my heart sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Because I can't even begin to express in words what I feel. You know, what I realize what he did on the cross for us and the penalty of my sin. And then I look so many times and I see the lack, lackadaisical attitude that I've given him. It just breaks my heart. Close your eyes with me if you would, please. Oh, Jesus, forgive us, God. God, as I lift this rafer up right now before you, Jesus, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for what you did for me, Jesus. I didn't deserve it. I don't deserve life. God, I thank you and I worship you and I praise your name. Let's eat the cracker together. And Lord, I hold up the cup and I look at this and I see what it is. I see your life. thank you, God, for loving me so much that you sent Jesus to die for my sin. I can't wait, God, where I can say thank you face to face. But Lord, until that time comes, I pray that my life is worship to you. And I pray that I change. And I pray that I do the things every day that are worthy of you. And I pray this church sees the same thing. God, I just want an outpouring of Jesus in this place so much that it draws all people in this church to see you, God, and that we would just bow down and reverence you and to praise you and to give you thanks.
God, that's our heart. Oh, drink with me in the cup. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you have a sense of worship in your heart this morning, do you want to just spend some time and worship him? And say thank you. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we just give you praise and worship, and I just pray that it would continue on throughout the rest of this day as we have fellowship time and we go and we celebrate fellowship. We celebrate each other. God, I just pray that you would just give us a love in this church and embracing love for each other. God, I just pray that you would just fall on us in all of your goodness and all of your mercy and all of your grace. In the name of Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name.